welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss detection training, canine welfare, conservation biology, and everything in between. I'm Kayla Fratt, one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for land managers, researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Today, I'm super excited to be talking to Lauren DeGrief about her upcoming conference. Well, I suppose it's not technically your conference. Um, later this year in May at Florida International University. So Lauren, um, welcome to the podcast. And why don't you start out telling us a little bit about um, the conference, and then we'll pivot into a little bit more about your background for, for anyone who's not familiar with you. Sure. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited to talk about the conference. The the conference is called the Canine Detection and Olfaction Science Conference, or Canine SciCon, as we are calling it. Um, we are really excited to have a large collection of scientists from a variety of different fields all come to talk to us about things related to canine detection and olfaction. Yeah, and I've got to tell everyone at home, if you can't tell, I have so much FOMO about not being able to make it to this conference. I spent a bit of time trying to figure out if I was going to be able to make it work, but I will be in Latin America, and it lands in this really unfortunate middle ground between two trips that I already have planned to the U.S. Um, it just sounds so, so, so amazing. So, Lauren, tell us a little bit about your background and um, then how that kind of relates to where this conference actually got started, because this is the first year it's happening, right? This is the first year, we, um, and we are very sad that you're missing it, but we hope to make it biannual, so you should be able to make it maybe to us in two years. Um, but a little bit about myself, I am a chemist by trade, technically a forensic chemist is what my PhD is in. Um, but since grad school, I have been studying chemistry as it relates to canine detection. I studied it in graduate school, and I loved it, and I went on um, to briefly work at the FBI with their evidence response team, where I met Craig Schultz. And I bring this up because Craig Schultz is helping me host the conference this year. Um, but after I did FBI, I spent almost 10 years at the Naval Research Laboratory um, working with uh, odor as it relates to mostly explosives, but also some as far uh, some narcotics, particularly fentanyl, um, as it relates to canine detection and also instrument detection. And then I recently finished at NRL and moved to back to Florida International University, where I got my PhD, where I'm currently an associate professor of forensic chemistry, and I'm continuing my research in canine detection. Except now I can broaden it. Now that I'm in academia, I can broaden it to detection of pretty much anything I want to study. So right now we're studying uh, human remains detection, uh, still with looking at fentanyl, still looking at explosives. We're also looking at crude oil detection from oil spills, all kinds of great stuff. Oh, wow. Your job just sounds so, so amazing. And I know as soon as I started getting into the world of detection dogs, I started kicking myself for not having taken biochemistry or anything beyond organic chemistry one in undergrad um, because it's just this kind of, it feels to me like a black box of my job right now that um, feels very inaccessible and there's so little research on the conservation side about the chemistry of so many of our target odors, um, but maybe one day we'll, we'll manage to get, get you in on one of our more interesting projects and learn more from you and your side of your side of academia, I guess, on uh, on this question. So that's very, very neat. Thank you. Now that I'm in academia, I do hope to be able to work with people like you would be great because um, there's so many areas of canine detection that have been untouched by the chemistry side of the science. 
Yeah, definitely. And I know it's something we think about a lot in the conservation dog world as far as, you know, probably in a lot of ways similar to human remains. There's a lot of unknowns about the variability that we have within our target odors. And it's something, you know, we think about a lot when maybe we're looking at species um, within the same genus and, you know, really wondering like how much overlap there may or may not be, which compounds are the most important for the dogs and, you know, yeah, just there, there's just so much potential there to be explored, um, but I, to my, it hasn't been very much yet. So where did the idea for this conference come about? Um, how did this come up? I, I can't imagine that this is something that's easy to organize. So in January 2022, I released a multi-authored book um, along with Craig Schultz, who is my other editor, um, called Canines, the Original Biosensors. And there were chapters on all different things related to canine detection. And it was considering, can we think of the canine like an instrument? If so, what do we need to consider? Um, but a canine is not an instrument. And what does that mean we need to consider in helping their detection, improving their detection proficiency? So it ended up being a small project that became a huge project. We ended up with over 800 pages in the book and a whole lot of wonderful authors. And Craig and I uh, talked a lot amongst ourselves about wouldn't it be great if we could get all of these wonderful authors in the same room. And lo and behold, with help of my university, Florida International University, um, we were able to do so and bring this conference together in support of the book. But going forward after this, we just hope that it would be a regular, regularly occurring biannual conference. Gosh, yeah, wow, that's amazing. And that's definitely one of the books that's been sitting in my Amazon wish list for quite a while now. Um, I didn't realize it was 800 pages. That both makes me more and less excited to actually order it and get into it. So tell us a little bit about, well, let's, let's start with some of the basic details, actually. Um, when is this conference? Where is it? Are there virtual options? And where do people go to sign up? So the conference is going to be held in Miami at uh, Florida International University's uh, Biscayne Bay campus, which is right on the bay. The conference room actually overlooks the bay, and it's it's quite stunning. Um, we're very lucky to have such a great space. Um, and it is going to be May 23rd through 25th. We still have registrations for sale. We'll be selling them right up until about a week, maybe five days prior. So we are still confirming our virtual options. I have not actually announced this yet, so you guys will be the first place to announce, but I do think we're going to be able to do on-demand, which would come out probably the day or two after the conference. So no live streaming options, but we do hope to be able to sell it on-demand. I know that there's a lot of been a lot of requests from people in other countries that aren't able to make it, um, and we just didn't think that streaming would be helpful. If you're in Australia or in Europe, you really don't want to be listening to the conference in the middle of the night. So on demand seemed like a better and also a cheaper option for um, those who can't make it. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And I know even my experience of, you know, attending Clicker Expo and a couple other big conferences um, remotely throughout COVID. I very rarely actually attended a live, even though it was an option. Generally, it just fit better into my schedule to watch a talk. What I kind of did for the months following Clicker Expo last year was I watched one talk as I cooked and ate dinner every Monday. Um, and that just worked better for me. So that's that's really great. I'm really excited to hear that, um, A, we get to break the news, and B, that that's going to be an option because I think I'm definitely personally going to be signing up for that. I really, really don't want to miss out on this. 
So tell us a little bit about, I know we probably can't go through every single um, speaker and what they're going to be touching on, but who are some of the ones that you're most excited about? And then next I'm going to ask if there's anyone who's conservation specific that our audience is going to be most excited to hear about. It's going to be very hard for me to pick which ones are my favorite because an overwhelming number of people that I admire in the field. So I'm just going to hit on a few, but I can't necessarily say they're my favorites. Um, so our uh, keynote speaker is Dr. Uh, Paola Prada-Tiedman, who uh, is going to be speaking to us about the direction that canine science, canine detection science, has been going over the last few decades from the late 90s till today. Um, then we're going to also hear from Dr. Kenneth Burton, who's going to talk about dogs versus machines. We have um, Dr. Melissa Singletary from Auburn University, who's going to be talking about capabilities and limitations as dogs as sensors. Um, we also have some people from the Naval Research Laboratory that are going to be looking, uh, talking more about um, vapor as a something to detect. Um, we have a really interesting talk on insect olfaction. Um, by Dr. Saha at Michigan State University. So just comparing how insects uh, olfaction works compared to dogs. Um, we have Dr. Cindy Otto talking about fitness of dogs. Dr. Aaron Perry talking about nutrition. So many things. And then Craig and I are both also giving talks. It just, the list goes on. That was just the first day. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, I just pulled up the list and yeah, we've got, you've got people from really all over the world, all sorts of different disciplines. And I mean, almost every single one of them has a PhD, which, you know, fits with the theme of science. I am so excited to be able to attend this virtually and learn from all of these people. So then pivoting, obviously, you know, things like nutrition and sensing and fitness apply all over um, the, the detection dog world. But do we have anyone who's specifically coming from more of like agriculture, conservation, environmental lenses to this um, as speakers? All right. So we have two different speakers that are going to be talking about um, oil spill remediation using canines for that. We have uh, Mr. Paul Bunker and then also one of my wonderful PhD students, Michelle Karpinski, are going to be talking about that. I also have Dr. Ade Shun, who's going to be talking about um, landmine remediation um, in Cambodia minefields, which should be really interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's such important work. And are they um, are they using dogs or rats for that? Uh, she will be talking about the use of dogs, and I know she'll be touching on the use of rats as well. Oh, very exciting. Well, yeah, and we're always at, Paul Bunker is definitely a friend of the pod here. We've had him on a couple times, and I'm always pestering him for, for more episodes, so I'm really excited to hear he'll be speaking. But there's also, I mean, genuinely so many new names here that I don't recognize or maybe have a tickle of recognition, which is always really exciting when looking at a conference list to to just know that you're going to learn so much and have your mind really open and not necessarily hear from kind of the same folks that you, you know, maybe are always on the same podcast circuit or are already, you know, kind of within your network. So what are, what are you going to be speaking about? So I'm going to be speaking on the beginning of the day on Wednesday, the second day, and my talk is called What's That Smell? Canine Detection Chemistry. So I'm going to be going um, over the basics of canine detection chemistry for all of the handlers in the room, and then I'm going to be going a little bit into um, some of my ongoing research uh, projects or recent research projects. So I'm going to be talking about fentanyl detection, um, as well as some research that I've done recently looking at the importance of mixture training um, to improve canine detection proficiency. 
Ooh, interesting. Mixture training as in like the cocktail method or, or what do you mean by mixture training? That is a good question. No, I do not mean the cocktail method. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, what I mean is, yes, your dog can find the odor they're supposed to find when it's alone, but in reality, it's probably not the only odor out there. Um, it might be covered in something, wrapped in something, contaminated with something, and it improves your dog's proficiency if your dog gets to experience their odor when it is when the odor itself is mixed with other odors. So the, I did some recent research on this that I've published, and so we're going to talk about that as well. Oh, wow. That's so neat. And certainly something we think about a lot in the conservation dog world. And sometimes for, for, because we want to ensure that the dogs can find something and sometimes actually because we're hoping that the dogs don't find stuff that's too mixed up, um, or we need to think carefully about rewarding the dogs in some situations. I know, you know, we think about multi-species carnivore latrines where, um, for example, the dog finds a puma scat that is in a latrine that is also frequented by coyotes or red fox or something. Um, for some dogs, it can be problematic to reward them in those situations. And then the dogs will also go on to start finding red fox on their own, or at least that's the theory in some cases. Um, and then there's also always the question of if one animal eats the scat of another animal and then poops it out, um, do you want your dog to find that? Yes or no? <laughs> um, yes. So we've got all sorts of interesting little things within that. Yeah, go ahead. That is a really, that those are really, really interesting. And there is going to be a handful of speakers that kind of are going to touch on discrimination and generalization because realistically it's a balance. And that's a lot what you're talking about is how broad do we want them to generalize or how specific do we want them to be? And we can tailor that through training. So I know one of the things that Paul Bunker is going to be talking about is creating dogs that find, can find a specific type of oil. And that's very much like what you're talking about is that they may, tr they may be trained to, ignore um, older oil that's been on the shore for a long time and find something specific related to a uh, recent oil spill. Um, but that goes across all kinds of different disciplines where you need to make a decision about how specific or how general do you want your dog to be and then what training aids should you use to get there. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And that's so perfect. And we're actually right after this, maybe one episode after yours comes out, we're kicking off a mini series on discrimination training and, um, you know, with a bunch of case studies and then some re-releases of some old episodes. So as a little teaser for our listeners, and perhaps after I watch your recordings, I'm going to be <laughs> reaching out to some of the speakers and seeing if they want to come on. And we, this mini series might turn out to be a little bit more macro. That sounds really interesting. I'll definitely have to tune in for it. Yeah, well, and you know, this is this is not quite what we were supposed to be talking about today, but I think it'll be really interesting to speak to some of the people, or at least learn from the people um, coming to this conference on this topic, because there are some kind of best practices shared within the conservation org world that seem to be quite different from what are considered best practices in other detection dog disciplines, and that has always been something that's very curious to me as far as whether or not that is valid or just kind of a cultural fog that we have all seems to fall into and within the conservation dog industry. So it'll be really, really cool to learn from folks who are not within that industry and see, um, yeah, whether or not it seems like it should be something that's different or if we're a little bit off base by not following the trend of every, every other detection dog person out there. <laughs> That is very interesting and, and a fantastic question. It would be uh, nice to get a definitive answer to that. That sounds like a research project on its own. 
Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm, well, fortunately for me, I'm starting my PhD in September, but I have chosen to go to more of an ecological genetics lab. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a question that I get to investigate as part of my PhD, but it has been one that's been knocking around my head for a long time. Um, and I just chose to go the ecology route rather than more of kind of the psychosomatic sensing, cognition, whatever sorts of routes um, for my for my research. Yes, I saw that online. And congratulations, by the way. Um on your Thank future you. endeavors. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very excited. And we're going to, one of these days, I'm going to actually get my ducks together to do um, a little episode about kind of some of the plans for the PhD, what it'll mean for the podcast and all that sort of stuff as well. Because we're hoping to continue, but it, it might have to shift things a little bit. This podcast is brought to you by our Patreon group. For as little as $3 a month, you get to ask questions for upcoming episodes, and you also get access to our online student alumni Facebook group. At $10 a month, you can join monthly coaching calls and book club calls. At $25 a month, you can submit video of you and your dog for kind, thoughtful discussion and feedback during each of those calls. And finally, at $50 a month, you get private coaching calls with me at each month. We also have exclusive merch for loyal patrons and occasional workshops, webinars, and other secret goodies for the group. We appreciate your support. What else do we need to know about the conference? Are there any other kind of different types of talks that people should be excited about trying to attend? That's a great question. So um, the base of our, our conference is going to be these 30-minute talks given by the very well-known people in the community. We then have breakout sessions with these 15-minute research topics where you'll get to learn about current ongoing research from a whole variety of different people. And then we're also going to do a few end of the day panel discussions, which will give the opportunity for the entire uh, audience to get involved on the discussion. So we're going to, on the second day, on Wednesday, we're going to be talking about research topics and practices. Where does research need to go in this field? So there's going to be a big group discussion about that. Um, and then on the last day, we're going to do two panel discussions in different rooms. One, legal considerations. There's a lot of le uh, legal issues behind canine detection, um, as well as we don't want to forget the sport people. So there's going to be a sport detection topics panel discussion as well. Oh, very cool. And definitely really, really interesting. I, again, I'm glad that I get to watch this on demand because I, uh, I don't know which one of those rooms I'd rather be in. Those are both very interesting. That is one of the reasons we are doing on demand because I already heard people telling me that they didn't know which breakout session to go to. So, um, <laughs> we are, but that will be the nice thing is that the attendees will also be given free access to the on demand after for one year after the conference and so anything that you missed um we have like a couple of breakout sessions one where we have um what i'm calling the hardcore science versus the hardcore dog session so um more fiddly science things versus um, more utilitarian um, fitness and nutrition items. And then we have other breakout sessions on a different day that are um, human odor related and then a contraband related. And those are going to be split up. But yeah, you'll be able to go on demand and be able to watch both whenever you want. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, I know I was even looking, I'm speaking at the IABC conference here in about a week. And I was looking at some of the talks that were scheduled while I was talking and I was like, gosh darn it. Um, I'm glad that they're recorded because I'm, I'm missing some stuff because I'm giving a talk. So yeah, that's definitely really, really exciting. So why don't we kind of round out our discussion here with a little bit more about the keynote speaker, Dr. Paula Prada-Tiedemann. Happy to. So Dr. Tiedemann comes from Texas Tech University. Um, however, she and I actually go back really far. The two of us went to grad school together. We were both um, 
in Dr. Kenneth Burton's laboratory at uh, Florida International University, a embarrassingly large number of years ago. Um, but she has gone on to blaze um, a trail of her own in canine science. So her keynote is uh, a new era in canine science trailing the path from the nose to the lab bench. So she's going to talk a lot about where canine science originally was. Um, back when she and I both started in this field, there was a lot of pushback against science um, in the canine field. There was a lot of, we do this because this is how we've always done this, um, but not necessarily because it was best practice. It was just how it's always been done. And there was a lot of pushback about bringing science into the canine detection field. So basically it was treated as more of an art form than a science. Um, and then um, I don't know how to say this nicely, but as people have aged out and retired and new people have come in, there has been a movement towards the acceptance of science and um, in the canine field and the importance of the uh, working together. It's not just about the science occurring, but the science has to occur in a way that it works for the operational people. Sometimes you'll read papers still today where they did a, a very neat experiment, but for one way or another, it's not... Um, applicable to actual operation, or it doesn't take operational canines into account the way it was conducted. So we really want those two to work together. And so that's what Dr. Tiedemann is going to be talking about in her plenary on the Tuesday, the first day. Um, she's also, we're so lucky, she's also an expert in human odor detection and human odor trailing. And so she's going to do a rapid overview of human scent on uh, the Thursday, the last day as well. Wow, yeah, no, that first talk just sounds absolutely fascinating. Something we've run into, we do, generally, we do a science highlight at the start of every episode, and we definitely have run into that where, you know, there's always going to be limitations to any study. You know, maybe they only used five labs that were all from the same training center or something like that. But we've also run into some studies where, you know, they're the first steps, so it's not as necessarily something that needs to be criticized, but... Um, you know, one that I'm thinking of as a potential example of this, and I'm sure there are many, and I don't, I don't mean to be picking on this art, this particular study at all, because I think it was a really good first step in answering an interesting question of what happens to a detection dog's performance if their handler changes on them. And, you know, one of the things that I remember thinking as I was reading it was that they basically had set it up so the dogs had always trained with the same person. And then as far as I could tell from reading the methodology, they met that second handler on the day of testing. And about half the dogs in the study wouldn't work at all for that second handler. Um, and to me, that felt pretty irrelevant to how we would ever hand off a dog to a second trainer or a second handler or you know a third or fourth or fifth handler. Um, for example, when I handed my dog Barley off to my co-founder Rachel for a season on the wind farm, you know, she shadowed me training him for a couple weeks. I shadowed her while she was handling him for a couple weeks. She was his normal dog sitter. He knew her. He worked really, really well for her. And I would imagine that's probably a lot more common for, for some of these dogs or these dogs are kind of intentionally exposed to the idea of working to a lot for a lot of different people. So just one tiny example that I can see potentially really relating to that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I For one, I've never read that article, but now that you explain it, it does sound like they're setting the dogs up to fail. And I, I do know the, the, you know, the Lisa Litt study that is often talked about in our field is a similar thing where they were really not setting something up realistic and they were setting up for the dogs to fail. And that is 
is a problem in our community. Not everybody trusts canine detection. It is also legally a problematic to set dogs up to fail and then publish it in a peer-reviewed journal. Yes, that was that was another paper that we've done as a science highlight, and that one, for anyone who may or may not remember, was titled Handler Beliefs Affect Scent Dog Outcomes. And this is the one where they, they had, like, both a big piece of paper over blank hides, and um, in some cases they also had, like, a full-on hot dog hidden, right? I don't specifically remember. I know that they had big, like... They made it clear that there was something there when there wasn't. But yeah, they made it. Yes, it did bring up issues in the canine community having to do with um, handler expectations and cueing. But it wasn't really fair the way it was done. And I would have to look at it again. I haven't read it in probably a decade. So I'd have to look at it again to remember the specifics. Another thing that I tend to see, because I obviously read a lot that have the chemistry in them. And sometimes you get... Um, chemists that maybe have never done a dog study before and they set it up as if the dog is an instrument and they forget to take into account learning. So if they rerun the same things repeatedly because they want to get a large enough uh, sam- no, a- enough number of samples for good statistics, um, they forget that the dogs learn and that that will come into play and the dogs will get better at it as they go along. And so sometimes if you don't work with, if you don't take maybe the chemistry side and the behavior side and uh, get all of those sides combined, you don't necessarily get the strongest study. And I know that from personal experience. I know studies that I set up when I was in graduate school, um, if I didn't have the help of actual dog handlers and behaviorists, they would have been ooh, not very good. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so there's so much into it, and I'm really glad that we brought up you know th- this idea of not just setting the dogs up to fail, which certainly can be a problem. Yeah, as you said, legally, you know, we run into it in the conservation dog world where researchers maybe just you know they've never heard of conservation dogs and they're kind of suspicious. They think that we're just you know girls out there out here who love our dogs or or guys, but a lot of us are girls. Um, and uh, yeah, having papers out there like that can be potentially harmful, especially if they don't really explain, yeah, that they are pushing those limitations or trying to find that point of failure. Well, anyway, I'm very excited to, to hear more from Paula then. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the sponsors. Is there anyone that needs to be particularly thanked? Are you still looking for sponsors? Um, yeah, all that good stuff about our, our lovely sponsors. Oh, I'm most happy to thank Canine Census, which is Robin Gribble's uh, group. They are our gold sponsor for this conference, so we are loving them. Um, And they are all about canine science, so they are the perfect gold sponsor. We also have a handful of bronze sponsors, which include Psy Canine, Get Scent, Chiron Canine, Maker Canine, Cats Canine, Pack Track, Hits and Smart Dog Conferences, Gritty Canine, and Redemption Road Canine. Whew! It's a lot of canines. Um, we are all sheer out of sponsor spots, but we are happy to take more vendors if anybody is ha- interested in having a vendor booth. Well, excellent. That's really good to hear. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on this show. This sounds like such an amazing opportunity and just really exciting to have something that is not just specific to one discipline, but really highlights how science can be brought into the detection world more broadly. This is probably the conference that I've been most excited to see come up in the last couple of years, and I'm so excited we'll be able to attend. Um, Remind people one more time where they can go to find tickets and where they can go to learn more about you and your career and your lab if they're so inclined. Well, 
I'd like to thank you, Kayla, for inviting me on to let me talk about it because I am really excited about this conference. I feel like it's a dream coming true. I get all of my people in one room. I'm also some that I've never met before. So I think it's going to be really exciting, at least in my little world or our little world, I should say. Um, the website is uh, go.fiu.edu slash K9 SciCon. So K9 S C I C O N. And you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, and I would be happy to hook up and chat dogs with you. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I know I've found this a couple times by literally just Googling Florida Science Canine Conference 2023. Um, so if anyone is having a hard time remembering that ought to do it for you as well. Um, for everyone at home, I hope that you're excited to join us at this conference. Um, if you're not in Patreon yet or um, our course, be sure to go ahead and join one of those two. We have discussions on our Facebook group and within Patreon all the time about stuff like this, and we will probably be doing some post-conference discussions. So go ahead and pull out your wallet for both of those if you're so inclined um, and otherwise we'll be back in your earbuds next week bye